Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where, sometimes, your heroine promises a date to the new boy in town, even though she already has a boyfriend, and it's like, why did you do that? Book number 14, Deceptions. Has Elizabeth found a new love? Hi, welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries. I am your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today is filmmaker Elizabeth Yarwood. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So uh, this is really exciting for me because while we have already had a Jessica on the show, Jess Reese was in season one, you are my first Elizabeth guest. How does it feel? Feels amazing. Good. You didn't even know. (laughs) I didn't even know, but now I'm so excited. Go popular 1980s names. Yes. I feel like Elizabeth is a perennial favorite. I think that's true. I guess it's the combo, Elizabeth and Jessica, the yes. two of them together. Jessica, is like definitely. 1980s. Central. Yeah. Elizabeth has so many nicknames. There's like Liz, Beth, Betty. Right. And I noticed... Betsy. Betsy. I noticed there's a completely different character in this book named Betsy. Oh my gosh, and, Betsy Martin. Yeah, I and never I was like, put it together. I was like, that's two Elizabeths. Why did they do that? Betsy's name is Elizabeth. Well, there's also two characters. There's one named Kara and one named Caroline oh. that uh, has already become a problem in the show where people are not knowing which is which. These are strange choices. I agree. I agree. You have so many names to choose from and, and like almost no like Kelly's, except there's a bar called Kelly's. Oh, interesting. And that was, that was a popular name in the 80s. Totally. Yeah. Brittany, maybe that was later. Yeah. But at any rate, um, just to get you up to speed, so far on season two, it has been drama central. Uh, quickly, to catch you up and the listeners, Mr. Collins, falsely accused of sexual assault, book 11. Whoa. Trisha Martin, dying of cancer. That was book 12. And uh, in book 13, Elizabeth was kidnapped. I, I uh, picked up on that. So here we are in book 14, a book with relatively less drama. It's called Deceptions, and yet still still some drama. Uh, so let's start by describing the cover of the book. Uh, you've got your book right there. I do. What's going on? Well, Elizabeth is on the cover, and she looks very demure. She has her hand on her chest. Looking, she looks kind of almost like a Southern Belle, even though she is a Californian girl. And the boy, who I'm assuming is Nicholas Morrow, um, is looking hungrily at her. Yes, hungrily. Good, good descriptor. She has her hand kind of across her chest, and she she's it's kind of a Jessica look actually. She's kind of like, oh really? I have everything I want right now, or like she's gonna about to say like, oh you to Nicholas, right? But that does not accurately reflect Elizabeth's emotions in this book, I wouldn't say. No. Have you read a Sweet Valley High novel before, or was this your first one? I think that this was probably my first Sweet Valley High book. But when I was a kid, I am pretty sure I read the Sweet Valley Twins series. I didn't read all of them, but I definitely think I read a few. I was more of a a babysitter's club girl, but... (laughs) Me too. Honestly, me too. But I also read Sweet Valley Twins, as I've mentioned on the show before. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one thing that is significant about having read any of the other series is that you have a little bit of a grounding in who the characters are. 
Yeah, I definitely remembered the twins, but that's kind of where it stops. In those series, there's something that's like an like analogous to Pi Beta Alpha, the sorority that the girls are in in the high school books, and it's called the Unicorn Club. I, you know, when I was looking this up on Wikipedia, I was like, what is that? Okay. I do not remember that. For some reason, that's <laughs> something that has stuck with me through the years is the Unicorn Club. And, like, young Lila and young Jess and young Caro were, were in the Unicorn Club. And they all wore purple all the time. That was, like, the color of the Unicorn Club. Yeah. And I can totally see my, like, eight, ten-year-old self being like, I want to be in the Unicorn Club. <laughs> yeah. I like purple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of Mean Girls now. Like, they wear pink on Wednesdays. The Unicorn Club wears purple every day. Oh, I see. <laughs> I think that's how it goes. I see how it goes. Well, let's get into talking about the book. It starts at a party. It does. Like, a pretty kick-ass party at the Wakefield house. Uh, I guess it's kick-ass, but they casually drop that it's a party to celebrate Elizabeth's return from being kidnapped. That was going to be okay. my next question for you, was like, did you glean from the text what this party is for? I did. They, it, they mention it basically in passing, and... Other than its brief mention, they pretty much ignore the fact that she may have been traumatized or there may have been something serious that just went on. I think it's so weird. I said this in the last episode. Elizabeth really wants this party. Like, this is what she wants. And she, as soon as she's rescued, she's like, I want a hot bath and I want a party, a big party. Doesn't that seem strange? It seems very strange. She's just desperate to see all of her friends that she's been away from for the past two days. So at this party, um, in attendance is like everybody from Sweet Valley High, plus the newest people in town, the Morrows. Right. It's uh, Nicholas Morrow and his sister Regina. Regina, yes. And they are real hot shit because they're very rich, but also very like genteel and kind. Yeah, I didn't really understand how they ended up at this party or how they know everybody, but I think maybe that was in a previous book. Yeah, the idea is that they are brand new to town. Like, they just moved to town, like, that weekend. And so they have been invited to the party kind of as an excuse to meet everybody. Um, But we had a big cliffhanger at the end of the book that actually the exact scene that ends book 13 starts book 14. Do you remember what happens at the very, very beginning? Uh, is it when the droids are playing? Or The droids are playing, but, like, Nicholas is there at the door when and he arrives I mean, at the party. I mean, I remember that he arrives at the party, and it was it's basically like Adonis has arrived. Yes. They- he is the most good-looking guy that has ever set foot. I, I noted Valley. this. My first highlight of the whole book is his face would have put a Greek god to shame. Right. <laughs> uh, so very handsome. And he is literally, it says uh, in the text, struck dumb at the sight of Elizabeth. He just is speechless. Yes. That was very, uh, very interesting. The the love that he develops well, it's just w- by seeing her. And even though she and Jessica uh, look they look exactly, exactly alike. alike. He was like, no, this is the one for he me. He knew. I mean, to be struck dumb at, like, hearing her talk and getting to know her is, I mean, that's kind of a weird scenario, but that'd be one thing. But no, it's the sight of her that makes him go, oh, my God. Even though she looks exactly like the girl that he's been hanging out with for the past, you know, day or two. 
um, at his own parties and such, which is Jessica. But anyway, yes. So Nicholas like gloms onto Elizabeth at this party, her party, and he demands that they dance. Well, it demands he asks like, "Hey, let's dance." But he's he's a little forceful, right? Like in a nice way. It's weird, and she's yeah. she's kind of like. Elizabeth knows right away that he's very interested in her, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, he's basically like, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm falling in love with you. Yes! Well, this is after, you know, after they spend, like, half an hour together, right. and he he's, like, introducing her to Regina, and they're dancing, and Todd's at this party, too, but, you know, Elizabeth, like, smiles at Todd, and then they dance with the dance floor. Like, she's trying to be normal about it. She's really trying hard not to be rude to Nicholas. Yeah, and that seems kind of weird to me. Like, she's trying a little bit too hard not to be weird. Did you think that maybe part of her was sort of into Nicholas? I did, because she all of a sudden is like, this guy is a beautiful specimen, and I want to be around him. When he confesses his love to her, she's like, I'm sorry, I can't with you right now. And he's like, oh, am I really that unattractive? And she, and then he like makes a bunch of jokes about looking like Frankenstein or Dracula. Like he's like funny, like oh I'm so ugly that it's you don't like, like me. It's like oh come on, you don't know yeah. that you're that ridiculously good looking. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth just flat out says to him like, no, you'll do. <laughs> but I've got this boyfriend. She has a serious boyfriend. In right. Todd. What was your impression of her and Todd's relationship based on just the first chapter of this book? I mean, she is claiming she is head over heels in love with Todd, but she's also very easily distracted by Nicholas. Right. Now, I was a little bit surprised by that, but I guess there's just never been a boy in town who's been at Nicholas's level yet. But she's thinking about Todd, and she's kind of thinking, like, well, I guess maybe it would be no big deal, but she's she doesn't want to... She, she turns Nicholas down. And... I mean, what what's kind of, kind of confusing about this whole world is that all of these people are just different layers of attractiveness. Yes, yeah. Everybody is incredibly attractive. Yeah. Oh, but this person is, like, slightly more attractive than this other person. We can talk about this new character, Randy, in a bit. Well, we can talk about his attractiveness in the boys section. But you're so right. It's not, like, really unattractive people and really attractive people. It's, like, amazingly Greek god attractive. Yeah. And then there's, like, not unattractive, but, you know... There's something about them that's not quite as attractive. Right. So, uh, Elizabeth is, when she turns Nicholas down, he go, because of the boyfriend, he's like, but you're only 16. Like, isn't that a little early to be settling down with just one person? And, and I would ask, you're not even in high school anymore. Why are you at this high school party? He, so, Nicholas Mario was 18. Like, I had misremembered that he was a senior or something, but no, he's graduated. He, like, works all day. He is only 18. Mm -hmm. He hasn't gone to college yet, so he's not, like, a college boy. But it is definitely weird that he's, like, trying to really work hard to convince a 16-year-old to date him. Yeah, it's like everywhere they are, there he is. And it's like, why are you still hanging around all these high school kids? Yes. I have this note here that... I, I wanted to read because I wanted listeners to kind of get a glimpse into Elizabeth's mindset. What uh, leads her to make her next decision regarding Nicholas? This is from chapter one of the book. As her friends left, Elizabeth's thoughts returned to Nicholas Morrow and to his argument that she was too young to go study. She'd heard the same thing a million times from her family since she'd gotten seriously involved with Todd. Elizabeth loved her parents dearly, and she knew they had her best interests at heart. But on this one thing, she could never agree with them. She was so happy with Todd that she was sure there'd never be anyone else in her life. 
Not even Nicholas Morrow, she thought, as she closed the door behind the departing guests and went back to him. She was afraid he'd bring up the subject once more, but this time Nicholas had a different argument. You're just afraid, Elizabeth. That's the whole problem. His eyes met hers. Isn't it? She shook her head. Of course not. Then why don't you go out with me just once? That's all I'm asking. Just once. I can't, Nicholas. You're not being fair. You don't even know me, yet you've already made a decision. Why? Elizabeth hesitated. Then she asked miserably, What about Todd? What about me? Her eyes filled with tears. It didn't seem fair that she should be held responsible for Nicholas's happiness. She wanted to be loyal to Todd, but she wanted to show compassion for Nicholas, too. Now she was confused about what to do. And on this of all days, one that was supposed to have been so happy... So there's a particular. Oh, wow! Yeah. Did you notice that passage when you? Yeah, I read it. I totally did, and it's, it's. I mean, obviously, it's really creepy. It's yeah. super mansplainy. Yes. It. Uh, what about me? Yeah. You're you're not being fair. He says you're not being fair. He just. He just does that stereotypical manipulation thing that we all have. And it's this part, the part minds. that really stood out to me was this passage that where she says it doesn't seem fair that she should be held responsible for Nicholas's right. happiness. Right. And yet she ain't makes it, herself. Ain't it the truth? <laughs> yeah. I was like, right? Why? Like, why do you have to? And, and I think we've all, like, as, as women or maybe some men out there, too, like, have been in this situation where it's like you don't trust your gut or, like, do what you actually want in a some in a romantic situation interaction because you're like oh but that will um hurt their feelings even though i know for sure that i don't want that thing right you know i mean it could go a lot further i guess than just turning down a date but right she's basically kind of tricked into feeling bad for him right because she can't shake the fact that like you're right i i I really care about being fair and i'm not being fair so you know what nicholas i'll go on one date with you right which i think is a reasonable policy for someone who is single but she is not single she's not single and she and todd do not have a casual relationship they're like they're going steady yeah and there's they constantly tell each other how in love with each other they are right and also then she once she's into this, she's entered into this agreement. Once she's entered into this agreement, she thinks that she can't possibly go back on it. That is such a linchpin to this story. Because the obvious thing, and maybe you were thinking this in your head like I was the entire book, is for Elizabeth to say, you know what, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have said yes. I'm going to call Nicholas and say, I'm sorry, this is a bad idea. But she can't. Because she promised. She can, which is both kind of ridiculous and kind of sad. Yeah. That she feels like she can't disappoint this guy. Is it because he's so ridiculously good looking? Maybe because he's insanely wealthy? Uh, but I don't think it is that. I think that she would have held herself to the same standard no matter who it was, no matter what guy she'd promised. Maybe she wouldn't have promised so easily if he hadn't been rich and handsome. But it's like... That's nice and all, but you're allowed to say no. I mean, maybe this is also a modern day thing where we live in a society where people cancel <laughs> cancel shit all the time. Right. But, uh, and for better or worse, usually worse, you know, it's frustrating when someone, even without a promise, has, has agreed to do something and then, like, something else comes along and they change their plans. But this is not, this is something more serious. You know, a date is, like, a little bit 
of a serious thing. And it's very serious when you are in a relationship with someone already. Yeah, and she's like, oh, this could ruin my future. This could ruin my relationship with my sister. This could ruin my relationship. But I promised. Well, so let's get into all of that. Like, in the... that's Because that's basically the plot of the book. Is right. that, like, will she or won't she go on the date? She definitely is going to go on the date. Then, like... How is the date going to go? And when is she going to tell her sister and Todd about the date? She She's like, I'll just tell them. It'll be, mo- I'll explain it to them and it'll be no big deal. Um, with Todd, she goes to tell him right away at the party. Like as soon as she's made the agreement, she goes to tell him. But when she gets to Todd. What happens is she is kind of um, swayed into making him feel better, too. Wherever she goes... That's such a good way to put it. She has to make these men in her life feel better. Right. She can tell that he is really pissy. And I actually, I mean, I highlighted a lot of this book because I really, I want to get it across to listeners. Like, this is what's going through Elizabeth's head, because otherwise I feel like the situation is kind of hard to understand. But I had a reaction that I, I want to share with you all to a particular passage. So, um, right after she agrees to make the state, Elizabeth, we're still like right at the beginning of the book, but it, it moves pretty quickly after this. She goes to Todd and Todd's hanging out outside. She hasn't really seen him the whole party. Todd points out to her that she has been spending all night with Nicholas. And she's like, oh, you know, I didn't really think it was that much. You know, I was just trying to be nice to him because he's, he's new in town, which is true. That he just got to town. Todd says, so you're making it easy for him by acting like the lady from the welcome wagon? Elizabeth's quick smile was answered by a grudging one from Todd, but then he complained again. Why was he hanging around you all evening? Oh, Todd, I don't think he was. He was, by the way, listeners. (laughs) No, he never let you out of his sight. Elizabeth touched Todd's shoulder gently. He danced with me a couple of times, she protested quietly. Then he went off with Jessica. Then Jessica dragged him off. Also true, listeners. Jessica dragged him off. It's very embarrassing for Jessica how desperate and thirsty she's being in this book towards Nicholas. But maybe they deserve each other. Elizabeth was always sensitive to such comments about Jessica, and she could tell the moment she heard it just how upset Todd was with her. Todd Wilkins, you're jealous, she reproved him gently, then brushed a kiss across the top of his head. Now, keeping in mind, listeners, that uh, Elizabeth is having a party because she just got back from being kidnapped, I wrote the following note. Uh, as a result of reading this passage. Uh, I'm kind of putting words into Elizabeth's mouth here, but like what I would have said if I was Elizabeth. Uh, and I wrote, Listen, fuckface, I just spent the past two days tied to a chair in a musty basement, then narrowly escaped being carried off into the woods by a deranged orderly. So maybe you could cut me some slack and stop your pouting. <laughs> right? And like Nicholas too. Like Liz doesn't need any more dudes claiming that they just fell in love with her and they love her so much so she owes it to them to be with them that's that's exactly by the way you don't know this liz but that's exactly what carl the guy who kidnapped elizabeth says to her it's like oh Oh, really i love you like i want to be with you because i love you and then nicholas is doing the same thing and now she's got todd pouting like you're not paying attention to me enough like i mean she's i wish you were kidnapped again i mean he doesn't say that but it's like Dude, she's constantly managing the, these guys' egos. Yeah, yeah. Get over yourself, Todd. You're being bad boyfriend. But of course, Elizabeth is also being a really shitty girlfriend right now. Like, no. Although, if she had just told him right then, like, I know you're not going to like this, but I told Nicholas I would go to dinner with him. 
Yeah. I can cancel if you want me to, but I did make a promise. I think it'll be easier for everybody if we just do this and get it over with. So he will leave me alone. Like, I mean, book over. But really, she doesn't want to be talked out of going to dinner Ooh, with Nicholas. Okay. That's what I think. That is an interesting theory. Because she's already danced with Nicholas a whole bunch of times. I mean, who does that at a party where your boyfriend is right there? You know, I think there's a very real possibility that you're right here. And what's really going on is that Elizabeth needs this date with Nicholas to convince herself that she's not making a mistake by being a 16-year-old in a committed relationship. And also, she is looking toward the future. She wants to make sure she's making the best choice. Yeah, and she's attracted to Nicholas, I yeah. think-ish. She definitely is attracted to I mean, to who would not be? <laughs> He's an Adonis. Well, yeah. who is no. attracted to Nicholas? Jessica. Jessica is, um, like, it also says that she's in love with Nicholas. Um, and she tells Elizabeth with glee that Nicholas is in love with her too. Right. And Elizabeth is like, oh yeah? What makes you say that? (laughs) And Jessica doesn't really have a great answer, but. I think that's also after Nicholas has already told Elizabeth. Oh yeah, because Nicholas tells Elizabeth he loves her like 10 minutes after they meet in chapter one. And she's, and Elizabeth is like, you mean over there in the moonlight? Yeah, yeah, she's a little bit dramatic, poetic about about how they uh, only fell in love because of the moonlight and the the moon, you know, fades or something. The moon doesn't fade, but you know, moon sets. Right. She doesn't say that. That's me. That's my poetics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but she saw him in the same moonlight, and I think she, that's her romanticizing of she that is moment. Kind too. of flirting with him a little bit in that moment. You totally. Know? Yeah. And she laughs at his jokes and all of that. But anyway, Jessica is, if Elizabeth is, like, mildly interested in Nicholas, if we grant that, Jessica is obsessed with Nicholas. Yes. Um, Jessica, usually the one who is very cool and, like, in control of boys in this book, is embarrasses herself with how obsessed she gets over Nicholas and how she calls him repeatedly. Yeah. She comes off as a little bit desperate. Yeah. And then there's a scene where she's staring at the mirror and (laughs) she's asking Elizabeth if she's old, like keeping in mind that she's 16. She's like, do I have gray hair? Am I old? Like, have I lost all of my appeal? And Elizabeth's like, what's your problem? She's like, Nicholas still hasn't called me, even though I've called his house a hundred times, just letting him know that I'm available if he wants to go on a date with me. It's just like, oh, God. I, I like how to say all of these things over the phone, like, I'm available, you still have to talk to the person's mom first. <laughs> like, mom has to pass the phone or to the, the Maros, The Maros have this old man butler, so maybe he's answering the phone, like, hello, <laughs> Morrow Estate. And she's like, hi, I just wanted to let you know, to pass on to Nicholas, that Jessica Wakefield is available to date him. <laughs> that, of course, is the thing that's keeping Elizabeth from telling Jessica that she made these plans. Right. So, listeners, can you guess how this goes? Like, she just, conti- Elizabeth continues not to tell Todd or Jessica that she's made this date. And she's basically, like, she talks to Enid about it. Right. Enid's the only one she tells about it. Yeah. And Enid says, you know, I think you have to go on the date. Which is, like, bad advice, Enid. Yeah, Enid's like, you did promise. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> Enid. I definitely wrote a note in the book at that point. That's yeah. Like, this is a bad advice. You do not have to go on the stage just because you said you would go. You yeah. You could tell him. He would understand. Like, did he... I don't think she says the word, I promise. No. She never says the word, I promise. She just agrees to go on the date with him. This She's just like, an, fine, I'll go. This is an important discrepancy. But Enid does say, you have to tell Todd. Like, your relationship is such that if you don't tell him, that's a betrayal. Right. And she's right about that, too. So she keeps on asking Liz, did you tell Todd yet? Did you tell Todd yet? But every time Liz thinks about telling Todd, Todd has a negative reaction to the very idea of Nicholas Morrow. Yeah, he becomes pouty about something that Nicholas did. And Liz is like, I don't want to get into a whole fight with him. He's, I don't want to hurt his feelings. So you know what? Uh, we're going to go on this date. It's going to be far away in, like, the next town over at the Cote d'Or, the fancy French restaurant that nobody in Sweet Valley would ever go to. Right. Todd's mom, it's her birthday. He's going to be with her all day. They're going to go out to their own dinner, and, like, no one will ever see me on this date, and it'll be all good. Yeah. Nobody ever has to know, and nobody's feelings will be hurt. She wants Todd to remain in the dark about the whole plan because she goes right up until the moment when it's basically her last opportunity to tell him. And she doesn't tell him. I feel like this is a bit of a moral complication here. It's not even a moral dilemma. It's like, why does she care so much about not making a promise and so little about lying? Exactly. And... Much later, Jessica brings up the fact that I'm your sister. Why wouldn't you Yeah. Well, go with me? It's because she wants to know. She wants to know what the date with Nicholas. And I guess it's kind of, it's not really fair to say that Elizabeth doesn't care about the lie. She feels terrible about it. She's like moping around. She's sick to her stomach. She's staying up at night. She's really pissy. Like to Jessica, Jessica notices how like angry Elizabeth is repeatedly. And it's because she's like, caught up in this, like, shouldn't I tell them? But she doesn't. She doesn't tell either of them. And then, uh, guess what happens? They go to the date, which we should talk about. I was just gonna, bit. I was just gonna say, can we please talk about We have date? to talk about the date. <laughs> so, you know, let's talk about the date. We're in the date. So, you guys are gonna have to wait, listeners, to, to find out what happens. But we're at the coat door. It's in a na- neighboring town that I believe is called Malvina. Right. It's a little bit far away from Sweet Valley. That's part of why Elizabeth is so comfortable. Elizabeth remembers when Nicholas first suggests this Cote d'Or restaurant, uh, Elizabeth remembers reading about uh, the restaurant, a review of it that uh, talks about how great it is. Oh, I forgot that. She remembered that that the review said, the specialties include, and then there was a long list. (laughs) the author of the book i was like was that really your best pass of this paragraph that's amazing prices were very high (laughs) that's what elizabeth remembered i also like how nicholas is like it's an hour away is that okay with you she's like perfect i'm like oh how convenient yeah he picks a place an hour away and then they both drive there separately so that nicholas uh won't have to pick her up at the house which he is very understanding about as well right um, although that would have been a great date, like to pick her up and then have an hour together. Well, I thought he was going to push her on that more. I yeah, he doesn't he, at all. Yeah. So they get to the restaurant <laughs> and, uh. I almost marked this passage. I mean, do you want to find it and read it? Cause it's, it's really special. It, it, it is really special. So Elizabeth walks into this restaurant 
And it's very opulent. Yes. There are a lot of bowls of flowers. Elizabeth followed the maître d'hôtel through the foyer to a small room where Nicholas was waiting. When she went in, he was standing with his back to her, watching two snow-white doves fluttering about in a huge domed cage of gold. He was wearing a pair of charcoal-gray slacks and a black dinner jacket. As he turned around, Elizabeth could see the tasteful maroon ascot fastened about his neck. <laughs> I have to cover my mouth. The ascot has always... This is like a highlight of the entire series for me. Uh, the yeah. ascot. A tasteful maroon a ascot. A tasteful maroon ascot. This is not 1884, amazing. you guys. 1984. <laughs> a tasteful maroon ascot. And the doves, I highlighted this time the part about the doves fluttering in a cage. Like, whoa, this is a weird restaurant. <laughs> and what is this, like, private room he's waiting for her in where there are yeah, doves? I, and, I don't get it. And then they go sit down and... Uh, he or he offers to order for them, and oh yeah, that part I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Yeah. He offers to order. He says, "Do you prefer? Would you prefer that I order for both of us, or you order your own meal?" And she's like, "I prefer that you order for me." And he says, "Great, because I've been planning this meal all week." <laughs> and he says. Um, that they'll have the smoked salmon, then they have some kind of something I actually had to look up. I am actually like quite a foodie. I had no idea what this was. I hadn't heard of that either. But this is very like, this was a kind of meal that was fancy in the 80s that okay. now would, I think, seem a little bit like lame. Right. And Tornado's Rossini. I don't even know if I'm saying it right because it's, I've never heard it pronounced. But, yeah. Uh, it's a beef cut that okay. is named after the composer Rossini. Oh. So that's special. And then they have puffed potatoes. They and go into beans. great detail. About Wild the strawberry food. souffle yes. is the best thing. Yes. So anyway, they're having this amazing meal. And uh, while they're sitting there, Elizabeth looks up and there's Todd. Of course. I mean, you, why would Todd be at this restaurant? Because he has to be. Because you just know that that's what's going to happen. They actually <laughs> say later on in the book, like, it's a one in a million chance. One in five million. Maybe even one in a billion. Yeah. But it is Todd's mother's birthday. So the idea that they would drive an hour an hour out of the way to go to the fanciest restaurant in the area to celebrate a, his mother's birthday is actually not that outlandish. And Elizabeth probably should have thought of it. Right. Like, she probably should have asked him, where are you going for mom's birthday? Yeah. I mean, you as soon as... You know the date is on, and you know that it's Todd's mother's birthday. You know that they're going to run into each other at this restaurant. You just know it. So it's pretty convenient that she doesn't question where Todd is going. Yeah, yeah. So Todd is like, Elizabeth? And Elizabeth thinks on her feet, and she's like, um, Todd, Elizabeth is going to be really mad when I tell her that you can't even tell us apart. I'm Jessica. And Todd is like, what? Yeah, he's like, you're blowing my mind. You can't be, you can't be Jessica. I know who Elizabeth is. Nicholas is just sitting there silently this whole time, like, not making a comment about this ruse. And then Todd goes away and Elizabeth's like, phew. And Nicholas is like, that was the right move. Yeah, and I was also kind of like, does this happen in every book? Is this, like, central to the... You think! Yeah. It actually doesn't happen in every book. Mm -hmm. It probably should happen in every book. It happens in, like, one in three, maybe. <laughs> but one in four... One in a billion. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, Todd feels so bad. I think that what ha- is happening is that Todd and his parents are leaving the restaurant. So right. he's on his way out. Todd feels so bad about this mistake that he goes to the Wakefield's house to confess to Elizabeth before Jessica can tell her. He doesn't just go there. He jumps out of the car and like yeah. grabs his car, rushes over there. I'm like, why is this so pressing? So just to clarify, in case this is confusing... Todd thinks that he saw Jessica at this restaurant, and Elizabeth, pretending to be Jessica, has told Todd that as Jessica, she's going to tell on him to Elizabeth. She does, this is a very Jessica thing to do. She so embodies the Jessica role that she, you know, gives Todd a hard time. And then Todd uh, feels so bad about this mistake that he goes to tell who he thinks is Elizabeth that he's made this mistake so that he can get out in front of it. He he does the opposite of what Elizabeth has done, which is that he's like, I'm going to make sure to tell her the truth before she hears it from someone else. Elizabeth, right. the real Elizabeth, meanwhile, is at the restaurant like, okay, great. Now nobody will know. Right. She's like, I know that was a little bit weird that I just did that. But you see where I'm going with that. And she tells Nicholas right then and there, like, look, you're cool. I think we should be friends. I'm not in love with you. Yeah. She comes clean with him, and she's been intending to do that the entire time. Yeah. And this is the moment where she kind of gets that off her chest. Yeah, she got a fancy meal out of him, and... uh, Which she loved, by the way. She loved it. She... She seems like the type of person who's like, oh no, I don't, I don't need anything. I'll just, you know, take this like, you know, I, I don't need a nice, nice dress. I'll just take this like hand me down or whatever. But when it comes to this meal, she's like, yes, bring me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are there seconds of the <laughs> yeah. wild strawberry souffle? Cause that shit was great. <laughs> um, and Nicholas, to his credit, doesn't bat an eye. He's like, all right, well, you gave me my chance. You were very fair. Thank you. Yeah, so this was pretty surprising for me, because in the beginning, at the party, he seemed like he was kind of playing to both Jessica and Elizabeth a little bit. He does. He And and then this is like a shift with Nicholas to being like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I gave it my best shot. Now I'm going to be very altruistic. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, back at the Wakefield's house, Todd shows up. Jessica answers the door, and Todd, assuming it's Elizabeth, before Jessica can say anything, kisses her. And Jessica says, wow, no wonder Elizabeth likes you as much as she does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty awesome. So when Todd tells Jessica, I just saw Elizabeth at the restaurant with Nicholas Morrow, she pretended she was you, Jessica's like, with who now? Jessica and Todd are both pissed. And then Elizabeth gets home. And she's like, wow, I really dodged a bullet there. Okay, now I can get on with my life. But Jessica's like, oh, hello, how was Enid's house? Right, because Elizabeth told Jessica that she was, well, she lied to Jessica and said she was going to Enid's that night. She was like, oh, you really got dressed up for Enid. Elizabeth said, yeah, she really wanted to see my outfit. And Liz says, it's a shame she didn't get a chance to. Because you were at Code Door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she knows everything. And Jessica's like, how mad I am at you is nothing compared to how mad Todd is. And that's when Elizabeth really feels, like, sick to her stomach. Yeah, she's like, oh, shit. And she, she and Jessica make up pretty quickly. Because Elizabeth explains to Jessica what happened. And Jessica buys it. 
Yeah, so I was shocked by this because I actually did not think they really made up. Mm-hmm. I thought that this was the start of a whole other plot <laughs> where Jessica gets revenge on Elizabeth by, like, going after Todd or something. Well, and Jessica says to Elizabeth, though, that she's not really that into Nicholas anymore because and that, that's what, so I guess that's why she's not that mad anymore because she's decided that Nicholas is, uh, like, always too busy with work. Yeah, I thought that was, like, all part of an elaborate game that she was about to yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 yeah, I didn't know what to think if, if Jessica really felt like, oh, Nicholas is, like, no fun, so he's not really my type. Mm-hmm. Or if she's just saying that because now that Nicholas has been in love, is clearly, like, in love with Elizabeth, or, like, was, and chose Elizabeth over Jessica, Jessica's, like, he's tainted. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make sense that she would just be like, whatever, I'm on to the next thing, because that's how they set it up th- at the beginning of the book. Yeah. That she just goes from one guy to another, and yeah. and she falls in and out of love all the time. So Elizabeth tries to... That's true. She does do that um, all the time. <laughs> so Eliz- I'm like Elizabeth. They're opposites in that way. Elizabeth calls Todd's house, and the mom is like, Todd said, I don't want to be disturbed. Yeah, that was so sad. I kind of... yeah. I remember then, you know, when you have that mom buffer. Right. And it's like, you really wanted to talk to that person. I don't know. I, I guess this, this dates me, but I used to like, you know, I didn't have, you know, I grew up in the nineties, I guess. And yeah, then so, so you just like called people yeah. and if their mom didn't want you to talk to them, you weren't going to talk to them. I had the same thought that like, oh, dang, Elizabeth is. She knows she's got this huge thing happening with Todd. He's so mad at her. And there's no way for her to get to him and fix it until tomorrow. Because, you know, she calls and the mom won't let her. And it's not like she can send him a text message and know that in the morning when he wakes up, he'll see it. Yeah. This know? is pre-technology. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one thing that we haven't talked about yet is that Todd, star basketball player Todd Wilkins, is about to, like, win a championship for Sweet Valley High School against Mesa High. Like, if he wins the big basketball game, if they, the team, win the big basketball game. But Todd's, like, the only player, apparently, on the team. Right. Um, It's all up to Todd. Yeah. Then they'll win the championship, and he's really very confident about it. He's cocky. He, like, flexes his muscles at one point. He's sure he's going to win. But um, on the heels of his tragic... uh, falling out with Elizabeth, or what he thinks is, like, a breakup, essentially, because she's betrayed him so badly, uh, he uh, totally screws up the game. He's got the yips or whatever. Right. Um, this after Elizabeth tries to talk to him at school all day, and he ignores her. And um, also after Mr. Collins asks Elizabeth to cover the basketball game, and I'm realizing now, after our discussion, here's yet another man, like, forcing Elizabeth to do something. Yeah. Or not forcing, but, like, coercing, coercing, insisting. And, like, he is, he's basically is, like, I know, I thought you were a better journalist than this, kind of, is where he goes. Right. She says that she's too busy, she has studying to do, and he's, like, come on. Like he was like, you can use this as an opportunity to show that you're unbiased. Yeah, yeah. Because she, he knows that her boyfriend is like the star right. player, but Elizabeth does not confess to him that they're on the outs. And I was like, is 
On a college application, is she going to be saying, oh, I reported on my boyfriend's game and I was unbiased? Like, how will that, in what way will yeah. that help her? It won't at all. It won't at all. But so she, she's trying, she's at the game. Um, she's trying to uh, be objective, but she's just devastated because she's watching Todd fail and she knows it's her fault. But then what happens Nicholas Morrow happens to be there. Yeah, for because, some reason. <laughs> of course, he's at this high school basketball it's a game. Championship, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. um, they like have a little confab, Liz and Nick. And I actually was a little nervous because I couldn't remember and thought that maybe Todd was going to seed them all over again because Nicholas like takes Elizabeth's hand at one point. And anyway, but right. they, that doesn't happen. Instead, Nicholas goes to the locker room and is like, I want to speak to Todd Wilkins. <laughs> And Todd Wilkins is like, how, like, I'm intrigued. <laughs> so Nicholas explains everything to Todd, and Todd is like, oh, then never mind, I'm not mad at Liz after all. He's like, I'm the happiest man in the world. Never mind the fact that Elizabeth still double lied to him, like, lied to him about lie of omission, not telling him right. that she was going. She had many opportunities. Yeah. And then pretended to be Jessica when he found out. Right. But he, like, already is skipping ahead to, like, understanding why she did that. And then he goes, runs back out after halftime, and he just scores a million baskets. And he they, scores all all the points. Like, every point. Every point There's, is on Todd. They don't talk about a single other player no. in the game. It's all, it's basically all resting on Todd. Yeah. They mention that the Mesa team is also very good. Right. But they don't name a single other player on either team. Of course, they win the day, and of course, and yeah. Elizabeth. But Elizabeth doesn't know that Todd has forgiven her, which is kind of weird. So yeah. everybody's celebrating Todd, and they're going to go to Carol Walker's house for a big party. And Elizabeth like glumly walks back to her. She's house. like, well, she's like Jessica, you can take the car, fine. She's yeah, like, take that's it. a recurring theme in this book is that Jessica's not allowed to drive the Fiat, and Elizabeth is. Like, kind of a bitch about it. Right. <laughs> and Jessica finally, like, gets the keys, because Elizabeth doesn't feel like driving. There's a lot of car description in this book. Like, yeah. they talk about the Fiat a lot, yeah. and, like, in the beginning, they're Nicholas. like, oh, he drives a Jeep, not a... Which is way better than a Porsche. I was like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like... I think she's being sarcastic. Jessica's like, he's so rich, she can afford to drive a Jeep around town. Yeah. His father drives a Ferrari, of course. <laughs> And I had to reread reread that sentence yeah, a few I times before I, I understood it. I didn't quite get that. Um, but so, of course, Elizabeth is only at home for like five seconds before someone comes creeping into her bedroom. <laughs> he puts a hand on her shoulder, and it's Todd. It's Todd. <laughs> the book does build it up though; like it's a little bit scary. I thought she, she was still just steps. walking, walking around. Oh or no, something. she says that she's like sitting in a room, like oh, writing. Or she's trying to type that. up. Okay. She's trying to type up the oh, basketball right. report. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what they call it, and she hears footsteps. But she's like, maybe I should get up and like look around, check that it's an if it's yeah. an intruder, yeah. But he's, the footsteps are inside the room, and yeah. Anyway, but yeah, it's Todd, and then he kisses her really, passionately. Yeah. Um, that's Todd's move, apparently. Like, yeah, before well, nothing can say anything, and nothing more. Only the passionate <laughs> kiss. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Doesn't go no, past that. Never. And uh, then they were made up, and they go to Carrie's party together. Yeah, Kara's party together. Yeah. And uh, they're at Kara's party for about five seconds yeah. before they get a phone call from home. And uh, 
we'll get to that later. But, um, so everything ends up happy. Uh, well, in this book, actually, everything doesn't end up happy. But in the story we've talked about so far, everything has a happy ending. Yes. Um, and we haven't talked about a very wonderful, important B story. A very wonderful 80s B story. Yes. It's, it screams 80s. And so to talk about this important B story, I think it would make sense for us to adjourn to the part of the podcast where we talk about boys. Who's a beautiful boy? Who's a beautiful boy? So earlier in the podcast, I mentioned a new boy in town, and this boy's name is Randy. Of course it is. <laughs> and Randy Mason. And uh, Jessica is talking to Randy Mason at this party at the beginning. And I, I pulled this out because we were talking about attractiveness. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth knew that Randy was sweet, but he wasn't Jessica's type. Lean and lanky, with horn-rimmed glasses and a shock of black hair that fell over his forehead, Randy wasn't bad-looking, but he certainly wasn't handsome. And around girls, he was usually as tongue-tied as Nicholas Morrow had been earlier that evening. Still, he was a genius in math, and Elizabeth had heard that he was a whiz with computers. Computers. <laughs> Which is like a new concept in this right. book. So yeah, Randy Mason is... Like a not handsome, but not unattractive boy right. that Jessica normally would not give the time of day. But she is falling all over him. Yes. Right? Yes. She's like, teach me about computers, But Randy. of course she has ulterior motives. She has the worst ulterior motives. And um, so there, there are various stages of ulterior motives. So yeah. Randy is obsessed with computers. Like, he's an expert, but he's like, there's a part in the book where it talks about how... He's throwing around terms like Fortran and they go into his room and he's like, "Here's my Hal." Yeah, <laughs> he, he like there's like a console and a monitor and, and like, like he like strokes the computer and is and she's like, oh, "Isn't she beautiful?" And Jessica's like, "This guy's weird." The reason that Jessica is trying to get Randy to teach her about computers is all just so that she can get. To Nicholas. So the Morrow family, they have like a computing company, and Nicholas right. works for that company, works for his father, and he wants to study computing in college and then go on to like run the company. And Jessica feels like if I want to get with Nicholas, I'm going to need to know about computers. Yeah. Even though she doesn't really want to know about computers and doesn't even try to learn about computers, really. Where does this, I, I don't even know yeah, where this knowledge it, goes. It doesn't really make sense. And she also kind of, every, it seems like everything that Randy is teaching her, she sort of already knows. He's like, holds up a floppy disk and is like, this is a floppy disk. And Jessica all but rolls her eyes and is like, oh, is it really? Tell me more. Like, she's pretending she doesn't know what a floppy disk is. But between the lines of the text, the book makes it clear that she knows exactly what it is. Which is kind of like an amazing window into the 1984 world of this. Because... I mean, it's literally from 19, like the copyright is 1984. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not like George <laughs> yeah that's not a reference. Yeah. Because, you know, she's like, of course I know what a floppy disk is. It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess people. Well, and how knew crazy, how crazy the way the time changes things. Yeah. Because in 1984, it might be believable that a person wouldn't know what a floppy disk is. Right. But Jessica's like, I know. 
And nowadays, reading this book, if someone were a 16-year-old reading this book, they very well might not know what a floppy disk is. Exactly. All these over 30 years later. Right. So that's weird. Today would be like, oh, I, I know what an iPhone is or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So then Elizabeth writes an article about the Morrow family and what their their new, like, new wave of computing and um, references an article about kids known as hackers plugging into computer terminals all over the state. It was even suspected that some had altered data stored in the computers. Yeah, that was that was awesome. <laughs> so the just, introduction to the the hacker world, the very yeah. So that's that's a special little thing here. And get, coming back to boys, Jessica now is using her uh, like uh, the way that she's leading Randy on to um, kind of I don't know. It's like she decides that she's going to start leaning on her failing math grade. And Randy's like, I I can help you with math. Like, if you're anywhere... He's so impressed with how quickly she's learning computers. Yeah. Because apparently it's like she already knows everything he's teaching her. It doesn't make any sense. No. This plot line makes no sense. No, it also takes, like... It's about to take, like, a massive detour. Right. Well, go... You want to describe it? Well, she's like, oh, hackers. Can you hack into the school's computer, which was provided by the Morrow family to... To, uh... You know, um, there's a brand new system in place at Sweet Valley High, and it's they're going to use computers to keep track of everybody's grades. They're electro- they've electronically inputted everybody's grade now. Yeah, so they're catching the wave of the future. Yeah, and the Mars have provided this, and she's like, "Oh, well, if they have my grade, my F grade in math, can you change it to like say a C minus? That won't look too suspicious." And Randy's like, "No, I can't do that. I mean, I could, but like, I won't." And she's like, "Oh, just show me. Like, I really want to. I just want to understand how this thing works. Like, I would be so impressed with you if you could do it. He's like, like, it's no big deal. We're not hurting anybody." And he's like, Ugh. "He's like that could be illegal, but yeah. I really love you." Yeah. And so he changes the grade, and then he's like, "Hey, maybe we could go out later." And this is Jessica's favorite error. She, oh, sorry. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, as soon as her grade has changed, she's like a cold fish. She's yeah. like, I'm sorry, I'm busy tonight. Yeah, just immediately after. Mm-hmm. She's not gonna, like, even go out f- to the dairy burger with Randy. And she's basically completely forgotten about her desire to learn about computers to impress Nicholas. That has just gone away. And the really fucked up thing, well, sorry, a really fucked up thing about this whole storyline is that Randy is really good at math and was offering to tutor in math. If Jessica had just taken him up on that with leading him on or not, she could have improved her math grade and learned math. Right. It would have been fine. It would have taken like a couple sessions. Jessica's not an idiot. Right. Although she seems like an idiot here because then Randy starts calling the house and Jessica is just like putting him off. And finally Randy has this, it's this funny phone call where again, kind of like Todd later foreshadowing Todd's kiss of Jessica thinking that Jessica's Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. When Elizabeth right. answers the phone, she tries to stop Randy, but he just has this whole exposition dump. Yeah. I mean, Randy's freaking out at this point that he's going to get in trouble. I think that's what it is, that yeah. he's going to get in trouble for changing the grades. So he's he blurts out to Elizabeth, thinking that she's Jessica, that he's going to go to, go to school and tell them everything. Right, right. And she better come, Jessica better come with him. And Elizabeth is like, oh, I will. And then she goes and, like, yells at Jessica, uh, 
about how could she be so stupid, and they go over the... the Jessica f- reluctantly agrees to go. Yeah, Jessica's like, don't make me go. Okay, I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> and so the kid is afraid he's going to get expelled, and his whole future's going to be ruined, and so um, he's, like, crying. And just when you think things are going to be kind of juicy or something, Elizabeth's just like, oh, can you please not punish them and the principal's like okay since you elizabeth asked yeah and he's like i guess we'd never need to repeat a word of this to anyone <laughs> right <laughs> were there any other boys that you made note of that's like that's the randy storyline yeah randy mason never to be seen again oh yeah i guess i guess the only note i had on that was that there's really no closure for randy I thought yeah. I thought maybe that this would kind of come back to bite Jessica in the ass. Like maybe he ended up with like a really awesome girl or something. And yeah. She's like, oh, I guess I missed out on that one. Yeah, but like but Kara, no, he just goes away. If he'd showed up at Kara's party with exactly. like Lila Fowler and Lila's like, oh yeah, he's going to be rich someday. Like I think he's kind of cute with his classes. That would yeah. Jessica would have been like, Ugh. I thought they were going to just button that up that storyline that way, but no. That would have been great, yeah. Um, I don't have anything else about Randy, but I did note that um, at some point um, when Todd comes over to Liz's house, Liz jokes, or Todd says, expecting someone? And Elizabeth jokes, sure, Matt Dillon. Oh, yeah, that was that was. <laughs> Yeah, and Todd's wearing a new white polo shirt that shows off his dark tan and lean muscular build. So, so he's hot too. They're all hot. Very nice. And um, then later on in the book, Betsy Martin, Trisha's sister, uh, saunters in with one of the disreputable boys she ran around with. We don't know his name. No, and he is very rude. He's very so rude. rude. Dairy Burger. He's like, what does a guy gotta do to get a fucking table in this joint? He's like, I don't have to wait online. Yeah. <laughs> Lines like, are for sissies. Yeah, I thought I need a reservation for this shithole. <laughs> and the owner's like, please, sir, you have to wait like everyone else. So. <laughs> this is a family establishment. <laughs> and Liz and Todd talk very casually about how Betsy Martin is trash. Yeah. Every time, it just really hurts every time I see it. Like, yeah. She's like, so I hate insulting. to... insulting. I know. She's like, I hate to say this, but she's trash. A beautiful boy is a beautiful boy is a beautiful boy. Well, speaking of the Martins, brings us into the closing of this book, which is when the Wakefields call Kara's party at the very end of the book, the parents... Um, Alice Wakefield calls. Jessica's like, do you think mom found out I took the car? And Elizabeth says, I don't think that's why they'd call at the party. Right. And sure enough, they're calling to say that Trisha Martin has taken a turn for the worse. And things are looking really bad. Really bad. So that's how we end Deceptions. And, and the at the end of the book. I yeah, mean, tease us for the, book the 15. The teaser, is this really the end for Trisha Martin? Find out in Sweet Valley High, number 15 promises. I was like, wow, that's quite, quite yeah. the ending. Yeah, over under on if it's really the end for Trisha Martin? I mean, I'm going to go with it's really the end. All right. We'll find out next week. <laughs> well, the last thing we need to take care of in this episode is to find out from you if you are a Jessica or an Elizabeth. Well... 
I may be biased, but I am in Elizabeth in real life and also in Sweet Valley High Life. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely more of an Elizabeth. Uh, it's, I mean, it's hard to say you're completely one or the other, I would say, because they're just so like night and day. Yeah. But definitely more of an Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. They're both engaging in some pretty shitty behavior in this book. Exactly. Yeah. But I guess they're coming at it from different places. Like their motives are very different. Right. That's the main difference between the two of them. Jessica's motives are all self-serving yeah, and kind of dastardly. And Elizabeth's bad choices mostly come from trying to not hurt any feelings. Right. Although it's like, does Elizabeth have this bit of self-interest? Yeah, that does kind of change things. And Jessica also does forgive Elizabeth really quickly. So they both have, you know, a little bit of complexity, yeah, I would say. That's true. That's maybe, very true. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Um, listeners, uh, please rate and subscribe the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I can't say it right to save my life. Rate and subscribe to the podcast on um, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. Uh, send me an email, uh, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. Uh, follow me on Instagram. It's so much fun, Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram. Or on Twitter, I'm at Sweet Valley because I snatched up that handle back in the early days of Twitter before it was just a steaming pile of, you know. That's poop. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to say cesspool and pile of shit at the same time. And uh, I was a steaming pile of cess. Uh, that's not a thing. A steaming pool of cess. Mm. That's a thing, right? Sure. Um, Elizabeth, do you have any uh, projects going on that you want people to know about? Well, if anybody is subscribed to the streaming service on Seed and Spark, which is a crowdfunding and streaming service, my web series, LA Picker, is on that site and it's a web series about people who do thrifting reselling it's a comedy web series very very cool seed and spark is a really awesome project so people should check it out um thanks again to elizabeth thank you listeners and thanks to jocelyn schofield for the use of the song beautiful boys and Jocelyn has some new music you can check out. And tune in next week for extra drama and then the week after that to find out if trisha martin lives or dies But so far in uh, season two of Sweet Valley Diaries, which started with book 11, we... Oh my god. This happens almost every week where I like forget about the like intro shit that I had do every episode. I have it written down on a piece of paper in front of me. All right. So, it's okay cuz editing. Exactly. Fix it in post. That's what we always say.